seated. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 138. And then our New Testament reading and text will be Philippians 1, 19-26. So if you turn to Psalm 138 and then to Philippians chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the Psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he, sh- he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And then Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Actually, 18b through verse 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know... That through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless the reading and the hearing of your word, uh, not only to our ears, but also to our hearts, that we would be encouraged by your word, that our faith would be stirred in strengthened by what we have heard and from the testimony of the apostle to us in this epistle. The Lord, we now come to the preaching of your word and your servant stands before you and before the congregation in in desperate need of the strength and unction of the Holy Spirit in order to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with clarity and with power. O Lord, grant this anointing for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to begin by asking you uh, a question. How often do you contemplate your death? How often do you meditate upon the fact that your days here are few and the day is coming to each of us when our journey here on this earth will end? And as Christians, we will then enter into uh, heaven and behold the face of the Lord Jesus. How often do you contemplate your own death? Now, some of you that are younger may think, well, that's a long time in the future. Of course, we don't know. We don't know whether we have the rest of today or tomorrow. But even if the Lord blesses those of you who are younger, with what we would call long lives, even three score and ten, and I'm quickly approaching the three score and ten, um, but many today live longer than the three score and ten, even if four score, if you are given a long life, it's short. Believe me, you who are younger, you'll blink your eyes and you won't have hair and what's left will be gray, and your beard will be gray like mine, and you'll have aches and pains. And all the more you will be wondering, when is that day coming for me? Now, I know that the Lord may come back. He may come back today. And we may be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye today with the coming of the Lord. But he hasn't returned for almost 2,000 years and it's likely that he'll not return, we don't know for sure, before this day comes to each of us. But that's what we have in our text. We have the Apostle Paul anticipating that day. And the way he approaches it is something that's important to teach to us. I remember a number of years ago, I had a conversation with my mom and dad. It's probably been... <clears throat> Actually, it's been over 10 years ago now. They were in the 80s at the time. It was just the three of us. And I seized the opportunity to talk to them openly about their deaths. We spent about two hours talking about it, just the three of us. I said, you're in your 80s now. We know that three score and 10 is pretty much what is promised to most. You're beyond that. The day is coming. The day is coming rapidly uh, when you will die, when this will end. I said, in God's providence, I may die before you. We don't know these things. These are things to think about and things to talk about. And we turned to 2 Corinthians, and I spent about two hours walking through Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians within the context of their age and thinking about that day that was approaching. And it was a wonderful time together because they were walking in the Lord. Now my mom for a number of years is walking with Jesus in heaven. <laughs> and my dad at 95, you hear about him from time to time because he's quite the character, is still walking in the Lord here upon the earth. But that was a precious time. You see, believers see things differently than unbelievers ever could about that day. 
One thing that was funny that happened about two weeks after that, I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, Lacey. I said, what? He said, I found our burial plots. <laughs> I said, you what? He said, I found our burial plots. I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, we need to do something about our burial plots because we're going to die before too long. And so I went. And he said, I really didn't want to be buried where everybody else is buried at such and such a, a graveyard. So I, I, and I investigated one where I grew up down at Grange Hall Baptist Church. There's a graveyard down there, and they're all full up. But then I found out about another small cemetery. There's some veterans that are, that are buried there. And George and I used to fish in the pond that's right below it. Now, George was his best friend when I was a boy. George has probably been with the Lord now 30 years himself. Godly man, very godly man, dear man, dear man to me, like a second dad to me. And he said, right where the, where, where the plots that I'm buying, and they're not very expensive either. The plots that I'm buying, he says, you can see the pond. I said, Dad, you're not going to care whether the pond's there or not. He said, I know that, but, and that's where my mom is buried now. Now, an unbeliever can't understand that conversation. They cannot. They don't have the hope that we have. But we can understand that conversation. If you knew my dad, you could really understand that conversation. It is not unusual for him to talk about his death. He is not that he is anxious to leave because he believes the Lord has labor for him and he's found his ministry in a ministry of prayer and intercession, which he does without fail every single day at 95 years old. But at the same time, he's looking forward to going to be with Jesus. How do you look at your impending death? It's something that we need to think about from time to time. Look at what Paul says as he comes this. First, the first thing that he says in the text is he says, As is my eager expectation and hope, verse 20, he says that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now is always honor Christ, whether in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is saying here is, I'm here now. I'm in my sojourn now here upon the earth. I'm imprisoned. We know that at the time, the circumstances he's facing before him. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. But his overwhelming concern now is that he not be ashamed whether the Lord delivers him or the Lord takes him home. That he not bring shame upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as that day approaches. What happens if Nero does thumbs down? Will he honor Christ in that moment? That's his desire, that he would honor Christ. I hesitate to bring up things that you see on social media because fact-checked has often not been done. But I saw something, I think it was even this morning, um, about an underground church in Afghanistan that was slaughtered. I don't know if you've heard about that, if that actually happened or not. Someone supposedly was on the telephone when it took place. And they came in and they killed them all. They could hear the screams and hear the gunshots. But the testimony was, we are going to be bold for Jesus. If that actually did happen, if that has just taken place, they're not ashamed. 
They were not ashamed in the face of death. And, and why is that? Because what Paul goes on to teach us, we live in light of the hope of the resurrection. We have a hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is not our enemy anymore because it's been robbed of its sting in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here for a short season. We don't have a continuing city here. This is not our citizenship. This is not home. The older you get, the more you recognize this is not home. And I think the headline says, they have gone home our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're home now. And Paul understands this as we see it. Look at what he says in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Can, can you say that? For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is, he is so consumed with Christ in this life and with the ministry to which he is called and to honor Christ, that he can sum up his life right now as saying, to live is Christ. Can you say that? Oftentimes we are earthly minded without necessarily being what we would typically say is sinfully minded. What I mean by that is we can be consumed with things of this world that are not evil in and of themselves. But our families, with our work, with our recreations, things that we enjoy. These are not bad things. Families are good. Work is good. Enjoying the labor of your hands, the fruit of your labor is good. Recreations are not bad. God created this world, and even as Pete prayed, as God blesses us and blesses us in a material way, he's given us things to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good gifts that God gives us in this life. But are we consumed with these good things that God has given here, and our eyes are still here instead of our eyes being seen above to the age to come? And how? As God has me here now, how do I live in such a way that I can say to live is Christ? How do I honor him in this life right now? In the midst of my work, in the midst of my family, even recreations, how do I honor and glorify Christ? This was consuming to Paul. You remember last week, our text from last week, where the title of the sermon was, The Gospel is Not Chained. Paul is. We know that Satan is working behind the scene. Satan is trying to silence the voice of the apostle. Why? Because it's so effective in the power of the Spirit and the conversion of sinners and the establishing and spread of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul can be imprisoned and somehow muffled, then Satan believes he can snuff but Paul is rejoicing while in prison and giving thanks to God while in prison. Why? Because as he looks at it, he sees it's actually advanced the kingdom. Because others are seeing his boldness in prison to preach, and in God's providence, he has 
visitors that are coming in, and he's preaching with boldness. And they see his boldness in prison, so they're bold in the streets. So that even the palace guard are hearing and are aware that his chains are for the sake of Christ. Even those in Caesar's own household, we see later in this epistle, have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is enchained. He's thankful to God. He's probably not thankful for blisters that may be rubbing on his wrist from the manacles or being restrained where he can't come and where he can't go. But he's thankful and you almost hear him laughing at Satan's attempt to silence the gospel because what's happened to him has served to advance the gospel instead. That's to live as Christ. That's what it looks like. What are your circumstances before God? How do you honor and glorify God in the midst of those circumstances? That's what it means to live is Christ. But Paul also has the second clause, to die is gain. And then he poses it this way. If I'm to go on, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Of course, it's not his choice. You realize that. Whether he lives or whether he dies, it's not his choice. And I'm not talking here about the selfish act that is suicide. No, we're not talking about that at all. Life and death is in God's sovereign hands. He recognizes that. But he presents it as if, if I had the choice, what would I choose? Will I choose for to say thumbs up, which means release? Or will I choose to say, Nero, say thumbs down, which means I lose my head? Which would I choose? And here's the situation when Paul is to live is Christ, to die is gain. He sees both choices as being good choices. It's the choice between that which is good and that which is better. And we may be surprised at that which is better. What's better? Nero to say thumbs down. (laughs) That's better. Why? Because if he says thumbs down and I lose my head, I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with Jesus. Is that the way you see death? I get to be with Jesus. We had a reading of the law. We had a prayer of confession. And I hope you all sensed my own soul and my struggle with the fact that though redeemed and justified and being sanctified by God, I fall short of God's glory and struggle with temptation and struggle with sin. But if Nero says thumbs down, there's no more struggling with sin. There's no more struggling with temptation. It's confirmation in righteousness. And to behold our Lord face to face. Paul knows that's the better choice. He presents it as a choice, but the choice is not his. He knows the choice belongs to God. You need to recognize the circumstance. Paul knew he was going to be arrested when he went to Jerusalem. He had it by prophetic utterance actually an extraordinary visual prophecy that was given to him. You go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be arrested. But it's clear as we read this epistle, he doesn't know by revelation what the outcome is going to be. 
He knew by revelation he was going to be arrested. He appealed to Caesar. He makes this arduous journey to Rome. He's now under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his appeal before Caesar himself, before Nero. Those are his circumstances. But God has not by revelation told him whether or not Nero's going to do thumbs up or thumbs down. That's quite clear. He's speculating. And he's wrestling with this. Which, which do I prefer? Which is better? Not which is good and which is bad. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? He sees both outcomes as good. If I'm released, that's good. Why? It means more fruitful labor for you. It's good. Why? It means that there will be a smile on your face the next time I visit Philippi. Your heart will be filled with joy. It's good because God is not finished with me yet here. There's more to do to honor him in this life. It's good if I'm released. It's better if I'm not. Because I get to be with Jesus. Now, which would you choose? It's not his choice. <laughs> it's up to God, and God will demonstrate it. Now, now Paul believes he knows what's going to happen based upon the providence that he sees, but he doesn't know for sure. He knows that there is work that's done. He realizes that. And Paul's expectation is that he is going to be released, which will mean more fruitful labor. That's what he believes. And he says he believes it will come about. Why? Through your prayers. That's in the text. Through your prayers. We need to recognize something here. There are means that God has ordained. Yes, God is sovereign over life and death. But God also has ordained the means, and the means are genuine and real. And prayer is one of the means that he's ordained. <clears throat> that through your prayers and the Spirit, he believes that he will be released. That's what he thinks is going to happen. But if not, it's better. I get to go be with Jesus. You see, that's what to live as Christ looks like if the answer is now it's time to come home. Can you say to live as Christ that is right now in your life? But can you say in contemplating your own death and the end of this pilgrimage that you have on earth, can you say to die is gain? That is, look joyfully in anticipation for that day. There's a lady that <clears throat> came and joined the church that's in Chilhowee when we first started it. I don't know whether you guys remember. Uh, she may have... No, she was there at the time. Mrs. Robinson. Do you remember her from Glade Spring? Yeah. She was in Tom's church for many years. I called her Mom R. That's what the family called her. Mom R was an extraordinary woman. Born and raised in China on the mission field. Her parents were Southern Presbyterian missionaries there. <clears throat> Came back to the States to go to college. She actually went to seminary, though she didn't believe that women should be ordained to the ministry. Um, and then uh, went back to China in her own right was home on furlough 
Second World War hits, China closes down, and she was in the States, and so she didn't get put in a concentration camp. What she did then was she moved to rural southwest Virginia, where I live, to teach Bible the public school system through release time. She became a missionary. And while she was there, she met uh, a bachelor who was a farmer in the Presbyterian Church that many years later I served, and they, they married, and they had six kids. Two of them are ruling elders in the OPC Church in Chilhowee now. The oldest is with the Lord. He was a deacon in that particular church. When Mamar was 76, her husband had died after a lengthy illness, and she went back to China as a missionary. Um, to Taiwan, the PCA wouldn't send her because she was too old. Um, so she went with Child Evangelism Fellowship. I never met anybody quite like Mamar in my life. I remember one time she had to come home because of illness, and, and it was, she was in her early 80s. And I, I can remember calling up her pastor, who's a dear friend, went to college with Pete, Tom Sullivan. I said, "Have you been to see Mamar yet at the hospital?" He said, no, I'm afraid to go because she would have something for us to do. I said, let's go together. That's how we ministered to, to, to Mamar. And we walked in, and she had something for us to do. She was waiting for us to walk in the door. <clears throat> when we formed the OPC church, she transferred from the PCA church to our church because she wanted her last days, she wanted to be a member of the same church with her sons. And I, I can remember she had a mastectomy on a Tuesday in her 80s, and she was talking about evangelizing children in a Baptist church on Sunday in a wheelchair. I mean, you, you, you talk about a formidable lady. She was a formidable lady. And then she became very, very ill. And unto death, she was dying. And she had a note put up on the bulletin board of the church. She says, pray that the Lord take me quickly with as little pain as possible. Nobody wants the pain. Death is still a violent thing. I can remember going in to visit her. She was chilling. She lived next door to me. She was chilling, and she had a wood stove in there. And if it was, it had to be 120 degrees in that bedroom. And I stepped in, and sweat just popped out on my head. And she was weeping. I said, Mamar, what's wrong? She says, Lacey, I've been sitting here praying and thinking about all the opportunities I had to share the gospel that I let pass by. I said, Mamar, you witnessed more people than everybody else I know put together. And, and I said, I understand, but you know the grace of Jesus Christ. And she just smiled. We prayed together, and I stepped out, and there were three people waiting to get in. And I said, are you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because <laughs> it's the fiery furnace in there. When she was near death, she planned her funeral. I had to go over the sermon with her. The funeral was at Seven Springs. She wanted our friend Tom Sullivan to lead the service. She wanted me to preach an evangelistic sermon. She prayed that someone would be converted in her funeral. The place was packed. Literally, I had to go. She put the liturgy together. She picked every hymn. 
I had to go over the sermon to get her approval. And I would have been afraid not to go over the sermon to get her approval before preaching that service. She taught us how to die in the Lord. She taught us how to die in the Lord. She didn't want any casket in that memorial service. She wanted that to be done at at the graveside. She wanted a memorial service to celebrate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ upon her death. And many years later, I met a man who made his profession of faith at the OPC church there that was converted in her funeral. She taught us how to die in the Lord. Have you known seasoned saints like that? She didn't want the pain. Of course not. She had no fear of death. But to her last breath, it was praying for the souls of those who Jesus Christ. And this can be multiplied over and over again, not just the Apostle Paul, not just Mom R or my dad. Can you say to live is Christ, to die is gain? Can you say that for yourself? You should be able to say, my life is to live to his glory. But if he choose to take me home, hallelujah, to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for the power of it and of this statement that rings in our ears, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Oh, Lord, would you so work in us that that our zeal would be that we would not be ashamed before you but would live our lives consumed with a zeal for your kingdom and your gospel but also recognize that in your resurrection you have de- defeated the shackles of death And that death becomes an entranceway into your presence. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would work these things in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11.